This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that doesn't think size matters. Honestly, I'm Andrew Page, and with me is Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Good to be with you. Mate, the financial year is at it's an end. over. We made it. We tally yeah. the final results. The king is dead. Long live the king. We're also going to talk about uh, whether size matters. Well, when it comes to shares, the answer Surely is sometimes. Oh, okay. But we think there's good reason to go beyond the, uh, the so-called <laughs> blue chips. Next, dividends or capital gains. When it comes to returns, what flavor do you prefer? And it's Scott's turn to get on his high horse. He has a, he's got fortune tellers in his sights. So look out. <laughs> But mate, first, actually, before we start, oh, yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna completely derail the podcast. Okay, I found out this week that more than just our two mothers listen to this podcast. Really? I got an email from Ben who said it's not just Andrew's mum and your mum, Scott, that listen to this. Ben listens as well, so we've got three listeners. <laughs> three orders. Hey, that's a 50% increase in our numbers. We'll be having a drink after this. Nice. All right. Well, uh, this one's for you, Ben. Um, <laughs> End of financial year, yes. uh, you know, uh, 30th of June ends up and we have some numbers in for the market. Was it a good year, a good financial year for the market? It was an excellent financial year. Excellent. Andrew. The average market year is about 10%, give or take. Okay. 9, 11. Was that you know, over the last 30 sort of? odd years or so? No matter how far you go back, it tends to, tends to hang around that 10% okay. number. Okay. Even back a century, it's about 10%. Okay. So again, depends on what index you use, what time frame, blah, blah, blah. Reinvest. On about the, 10%. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Last year... 14, I think 14.3%, I think it was. Ooh, 40% really, outperformance. Right, which is yeah. a really, really good year. Yeah. And that's in a year when we had Brexit, Donald oh, yeah. Trump, yes. a UK election. Yes. We had every reason, and and doesn't and just, and just politicians recently, whinging and carrying on. Just recently, uh, another North Korean missile crisis as yeah, well. Yeah, fears, throw of, that into fears the of everything going on. Yep. And yet, and yet, despite all the doom and gloom headlines, people expecting the next recession and things are going to crash and do all sorts of horrible things. And it was a really good year. You know, 14% doesn't sound like a lot. I can absolutely agree with you, though. It is huge. You get, you get that every year. You double your money close enough to every five years, frankly. Which is astonishing. Massive, massive. Okay, let's go back a little bit further. I'm glad you are. We are long-term investors, yes. after all. So we're not all we're not plowing everything in just to try and you know get lucky in the next 12 months. What if we go back over five years? 70%. 70%? 70% over five years. Wait a sec. Uh, let me do some math here. So back 2012. Yes. What was going on in 2012? Was that, that was Grexit and all of that <laughs> malarkey. Do you remember? Was, Do you remember was. Grexit? I, Grexit, that was, that was anyone the end who of everything. Is, anyone, any of our listeners who have sort of been paying attention uh, over that period of time, remember how huge Grexit, or you couldn't open the AFR or the Australian or any of the financial press without seeing Grexit written, how it was, you know, the European Union potentially oh, yeah, going to come undone. And it was all going to come to an end. 70%. And if you'd, if you'd listened to the fear and doom and gloom over that period of time, you would have stayed out of the market, you would have done... Whatever you've done and mm. missed out on a 70% gain over the last five years and a 14% last year, Brexit was supposed to be, you know, take your money and run. Mm. Trump was supposed to take your money and run. Mm. There was, the Australian economy was going to crash and there was going to be, God knows what, you know, disaster and carry on. Yep. It was a really good year. Mate, it's not going to always be like that though. Let's be honest. Like we, we are going to see a brutal correction at some point. We're going to see a massive crash at some point. I wish I could tell you when. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just because it's been okay over the last... sunshine and light this morning? Did you have a bad night's sleep last night? <laughs> just trying to provide balance here, mate. <laughs> lest we be accused of bias. Oh, we're very biased. So we are incredibly Enormously biased. Enormously biased. In, in, like in we need to tell people that. Exactly. Um, but, but go on. But... But, you know, uh, you, you might have, we, we could have been doing this in uh, 2007. So, yes. wow, the last five years, the last three years, the last 10 years, incredible. You know, everyone yeah. was worried about this, that, and the other. Yep. Uh, and then, whack, you know, the market basically lost 50% or so. It did in 2008, 9. Absolutely. So, I mean, we, we could be saying all of this right now. 
right ahead of the, of the next, maybe a 60% crash. So here's the What, what do you say right? to that, sir? Before last, so I don't, we don't have the updated numbers yet. Mm -hmm. um, Vanguard, the, the fund manager, index manager, do a really cool chart. If you've got a chance to have a look at it, they do a really cool chart yeah, showing back 30 one. years of returns. Yeah. Now, I haven't got the one to this year, mm -hmm. um, the 30th of June this year. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's just finished. Mm -hmm. Last year's one, so, so last year was 14%, right? So it's going to add to that rather than subtract. Yep. So assume it's better, but even ignoring the last year, going back 30 years, from June 30, 2016, way back to June 30, 2086, the average return was 9.6% per year. So I talked about the 10% okay. number. Yep. Tends to be roughly that. Now, if you think about, we got 14% last year. So there's every mm -hmm. chance that number's gone up a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the long term, and that includes the 87 crash, yeah. the Asian financial crisis, mm -hmm. the global financial crisis, mm -hmm. the dot-com crash, mm -hmm. two lots of wars in Iraq, Gulf terrorism War, in the yeah. Americas, in the UK, in Bali. Mm -hmm. um, Everything that's happened the last 30 years, mm. there were so many reasons not to invest through that entire period. And mm. yet, even including that time you talk about the GFC, there was still almost 10%. Mm. And I'd hazard a guess that after this year is included, that'll go up a little bit, might just hit double figures. Yeah, it's one of those phenomena, I think, where we as investors tend to be our own worst enemy. These yep. periods are going to occur, but the ones, the, the people who really suffer are the people who a only tend to get in when there's you know um everyone's doing cartwheels in the street because it's super fantastic <laughs> yes, everyone's yes. making money that's the point that a lot of people decide maybe, you know I'll, maybe i'll give the share market thing a go yeah uh, yeah when everyone else is doing it you don't want to miss out you know factor. bob yeah. down the road's making a fortune you feel you know you got a bit of envy there you you're dave getting next on door. that a dave next exactly. door and then and then and then things don't go so well and yes. as we've said before one in three years tend to be down yep uh and then you think oh my god what have i done I'm getting the hell out. And so you, you tend to exacerbate all of that. You know, the person totally. who just sort of sits through it all tends to do very well. Mate, we're flogging this horse ridiculously. But it's an important point to make, right? Because those people listening to us now, you know, some of our, some of our listeners will have been investing for 15 years and know all of this stuff. Yeah. Some people just invested last year, have had a really good year and thinking, this is great. It'll be good forever. Yeah, it won't. And others who haven't started investing <laughs> will invest tomorrow mm. and maybe next month's down. Yeah. And so when you, the market is going to be volatile, you need to know that happens. Mm. You need to know the average return is 10%. If you invest regularly through the cycle, you'll do extremely well if you invest regularly, consistently, no matter what's happening on the market. That's the key message. I'll, I'll wrap it up with a quote from a former colleague of ours, Morgan Housel, over in the States. And he had this wonderful turn of phrase, which was that every future crash is seen as a risk where every past crash is seen as an opportunity. And <laughs> I, like I, just, I just love that. It, it is so true. We so, always look yeah. at those charts and go, oh, if only I was buying then, I'd make a fortune. And yet the next one that's coming along, we think is just going to be a, an absolute disaster. It, it, it's a wonderful point. Yeah, just, just give it some context too. I know you want to move on very quickly. Mm -hmm. Flight Center is a great example of that. Right? Oh, so the, yes, yes. Flight, Flight yeah, Center, there was a couple example. of, you know, they had a tough year last year. Mm. And the share price crashed from, it was over 50 bucks at one point. got down to $28, right? Yeah, 50%. And, year and, and, mm. and people were like, oh, the, the business is dead. It's all over, da, 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 da. As you say, at that point, it looks like a risk. Mm. In hindsight, this is now up 40%, maybe 50% from that low of 28 bucks. Now 43, 44, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, basically on the back of the company saying, actually, things aren't as bad as you knuckleheads thought they were going to mm. be. Yeah. And so the people who said at 40 bucks or 30 bucks when things were going bad, they're like, oh, sell, I'll sell, sell. Yeah. Now they're at 43 going, oh, everything's okay, I'll buy again. And they're missing exactly that point. So as you yeah. say, Andrew, every future future crash or in terms of potential downside for flights that look like a risk, mm. in hindsight, you go, oh, mate, I wish I bought it 28 bucks. And that's exactly the point. I think just to um, expand on that a little bit too, it's one of those things where there was some bad news coming out of Flight Center for a while. So that's why the price yeah, was yeah. down. But I think what a lot of well, people tend to forget is that 
this is like a lot of businesses it's just variable right you have good years you have bad years and that is now that doesn't mean get a bad business it just means it's a lumpy business you know and if you're looking out over the next five to ten years and this is average kind of growth that we're going to get there's a very reasonable price that you can come up with whether or not flight center happens to have a shocker of a quarter this year or if if that is just a a typical cyclical bump Mm. is very different than from major structural challenges within the business and i want to we will move on but i want to talk to one point you said there was one more thing we keep saying this there was bad news and that's why the shares were down, right? right? And I think that's true in in directional terms. Yep. But it doesn't justify the falls that the company went through. And this is yeah, the right. key thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. yeah, was it worth a little pe- bit less because, because of that? Because of bad news, mm. as opposed to saying, yes, there's some temporary bad news, but the stock isn't that bad that we need to cut fifty percent off the share price. Yeah, so right. you know that that that's, was the cause, yeah, as you say. Yes, yeah. But it was completely, and it's always easy to say in hindsight. Yeah. But it was com- a massive, massive overreaction. Yeah. Yep. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's talk. About, so let's talk a bit about size and whether it matters or not. Now we touched on this. Clearly not, Andrew. We've touched on this a couple of times in the past, but it's, it's a favourite topic that that comes up. We keep getting questions. We did get the question. Yeah, right. And 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 that is is that look, do I stick with the the big end of town, the so called blue chips? I and people will very. Oh, so do I. And people will very. Um, I think reasonably come to that conclusion because they think, well, I, I don't. I don't want to be a speculator. I want to play it safe. I want to get involved in the profitable companies, mm. and I'm going to forget all the penny dreadfuls and the speculative <laughs> nonsense. You know, you know yeah. what? That makes perfect sense. I'm 100 percent with you. But I think what a lot of people tend to forget is that outside of that top 200, 300, 500, even there are some smallish business. Well, they're businesses that are worth many, many, you know, in potential 100, 200 million dollars. It is right. tiny compared to Commonwealth Bank or, or BHP Billiton, Correct. and they're automatically assumed to be risky. Even though, I mean, I've got a few of my portfolio, tiny little companies, but you know, zero debt, huge cash balances, massive founder-led um, businesses, wonderful recurring revenue streams, strong top line growth. I mean, everything that you can think of is mm-hmm. going well for this business. It just doesn't. It's just you know, it's not worth 100 billion dollars. Um, so it doesn't make it risky. So 10 hundred being 10 hundred. Well, you know, I didn't want to get too, <laughs> too jargony on you there, mate. We, we call it a hundred, a thousand now, Trey. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> but let's go through some pros and cons yes. if we can of, of investing in small caps as, yes. as they, as they want to be known. Hit me with a pro. The easiest one when it comes to small caps is the size of the prize is by definition much, much larger. So a small company, now look, there are some small companies in very, very small industries and they're only ever going to be small because if you're making socks for three-legged Siamese cats, there's only probably so many of those around. Small market, niche. But, but there's a lot of small cap companies who are trying to do different things, new things, try and find a new way to surf markets that are very, very, very large. Whether that's being a large grocery retailer, a large tech company, a large mm. um, medical device company, whatever it is that you're planning to do when you're small, the world is your oyster. Mm. Now, we'll go on some cons in a minute. doesn't mean you can necessarily get that oyster, but the world is your oyster. And so the size, of, if you're already BHP, to your point, Andrew, before, that's different from, from one guy trying to dig for gold over in the corner of yeah. you know, Western Australia, yeah. as opposed to BHP, which is already so incredibly massive mm. that it would have to open dozens of mines for it to make a material impact on the bottom line. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, the size of the prize is, is the big story. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that is the big one. Um, the, the other thing I would sort of say that I, I personally like about smaller cap stocks is that as a rule, it's not always true, but as a general rule, I find them much easier to understand. Yeah, you yeah. know, and, and there's no shame in putting things in the too hard basket when it comes to investing. I, frankly, 
frankly, I'll admit, I, I, I tend to put the majority of things in that because I've only got a very small circle of competence. But but when you look at a small cap company, they tend to be fairly straightforward businesses. Yep. It's not like a West Farmers or a Salt Pats, these huge conglomerates, with very complicated financial statements. You know, they do this one thing. They've yep. been doing it for, you know, for a long time. It's just nice and easy to analyze. Yeah, since, you know, we don't do mining companies, but I'm coming up with mining analogies. Mm. When I looked at gold miners about 18 months ago, um, very very for a very short period of time, and I should have bought it at the time, as it turns out. Shoulda, but woulda, coulda. The gold price was low. The dollar was doing, doing the right thing. So it was an opportunity. So I was looking at some gold miners. And there's some gold miners that have mines in four or five different countries. There's a dozen mines altogether. Yep. You're trying to work out each mine. What is the cost? What's the opportunity? What's the value? What's the grade? Mm. Really complex. Different Super jurisdictions, hard. different tax rates, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. Then you've got the occasional gold mine that has one mine or two mines. Yep. And that's a much, much easier business to look at. You look at say, okay, it's one mine, this grade, this price, this is what it does. Cost of production. Right, blah, blah, here's blah. the story. Yeah, and so yeah. when you think about it, same with retail. Medical technology, similarly, even though yeah. the, the sector can be hard to understand, if it's got one product that does one thing, very, very easy to have a look at that. Now, it doesn't mean you can always find a good answer. You may simply say, I still don't understand. Mm. Or I understand the business, Which but I don't fine. really know whether there's value there. Yep, but trying too. to, as you say, get to the bottom of what it actually does. One business doing one thing, much, much easier than a business like a conglomerate or even just a large industrial business that has fingers in different pies, different markets, different products, different prices. Um, the whole thing is much, much harder to understand. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that about it. I'll tell you one more and, we'll go, and we'll go to uh, the cons soon. But... Uh, you have a lot of lot less analyst coverage. So when you look at the the, the major stocks, you know every single you know, broker in town, every analyst on the planet are looking at this. They're scrutinising the numbers. Now it doesn't mean that these blokes are always right. I say blokes because unfortunately it is very mm. male dominated. Um, <laughs> uh, you, the market and we we sort of put the boot into a, a lot of funny things that brokers and analysts can do. But you know for them for the most part, if I'm being fair, they're, they're not a million miles off. You know they they they. It's going to be very difficult for some for you to sort of see a variant perception there, which is one variant that is, perception. Which that is, is a that is a winky term. It, well, what does variant perception mean? Well, look, I, oh man, this is a whole other topic. How do I say it quickly? <laughs> I think if you're going to buy anything on the market, yeah, you're obviously saying I think this is this is worth more than what the market's going for. So right. you, you by definition, have a different view than the market. So yep. you need to have a variant perception. The market thinks flight center is worth 44 bucks because of whatever. You have to think, well, I think it's worth 55 bucks because of whatever, and that's why I'm buying it now. So you have right, to have right. a perception that is variant to the norm. Makes sense. Um, you've lost me now, mate. What was I talking about? My fault. No, you're saying you, you you like it because it's not, they're not as covered. Small cap companies oh, aren't as covered by the covered. big guys. Right. So you have a lot of punters in there that are right. making decisions not necessarily as well grounded. So you can get things which... Just crazy cheap, crazy, and you know what? Frankly, you'll buy it, and they'll get even more cheap if <laughs> if you're like me. But in time, that it is a wonderful opportunity because yeah, it, right. the fundamentals will drive the business over time. So your point really is, if a, if a company's got a lot of analyst coverage, there's every chance the price is reasonably accurate. But if no one's covering the company, there's a fair chance it might be undervalued, maybe a hidden gem that isn't overly obvious because the market isn't covering it as, as strongly. I, I could have said it as succinctly and as eloquently as that. I but chose not have, to. I chose not to. The podcast be way too short, and no one near as entertaining. <laughs> okay. Are you got any more pros or should we go on to the cons? Let's go to the cons. Okay. Give me a con. A con. The problem with small cap companies is they tend to be, by definition, smaller businesses. Now, we talk mm. about small caps because they're low market capitalization. The value of all those shares is, is small, at least relative to the big guys. Yep. But they're also likely to be smaller businesses. Now, that means they may not have the same size balance sheets. may not have as much cash in the bank. Right. The business may have not been around for quite so long. Mm -hmm. Or it might simply not have the same degree of market dominance or 
um, existence as other companies. Now, think about it. Think about a simple one, Vegemite, right? Mm. Vegemite's been around for almost 100 years. It is the dominant breakfast spread. It's a very Australian thing. Now, if I come out with Scott Might tomorrow, mm. I could have a small business called Scott Might Incorporated and mm. I try and sell the thing. Mm. And you might say, wow, it's only selling for two times earnings. That's really cheap. Yeah. Now, it's very possible that Scott Might becomes the next big thing. Mm. Or it's also possible that maybe I've only got $15 in the bank and Vegemite come out and say, we're going to drop our price by half, market the hell out of Vegemite, yep. and Scott Might disappears. So didn't Dick Smith try still to go, go against Aussie Bell? Might is still around? Still, uh, can't be doing well though. It's well, case the, in point, right? right. And so that, and, and look, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. And we're trying to get with with any investment market mm. beating returns, right? Mm. So whether it goes broke or not is is, is I mean, obviously, you don't want it to go broke, mm. but just not going broke isn't enough to survive. You want market yeah. beating performance. And yeah. so, looking at looking at Scott Might, for example, you're saying, well, it's a small cap, big opportunity because hey, it could have the entire breakfast spread market. That'd be amazing. So big, big opportunity. But it's still going to be able to do that. Yeah. And so if Vegemite decide they want to do a heavy marketing campaign or cut their price or mm. or whatever, if something happens to Scott Might, if no one buys it, or if Woolies say it's not selling well enough, we're going to take it off the shelves, yep. there's a whole lot of downside potential. So not being as big as dominant, you know, the brand doesn't it doesn't, doesn't have a brand. Just smaller, more fragile businesses, quite frankly, I'll, I'll because give, they tend to be younger and smaller. I'll give you, you just reminded me of a very, I think, relevant current example. And that would be Yowie. A lot of uh, <laughs> listeners might remember these. Well, they're around still. They, they sell they kind of like Kinder Surprises, little sort of chocolate treats with toys inside them. Were they Cadbury once upon a time? I think they might have I think been. they were. And so anyway, it's a listed company. Um, you can buy shares in it now and they're potentially um, going over into the US as I haven't been following it too closely. <laughs> Allegedly. Yeah. But, you know, if they get in over any traction in the US, they are off to the races. You will make a squillion dollars. Mm -hmm. But to your point, you're up against some huge international global players, a lot of muscle and there's a lot of risks that are there. So um, in that regard, much more risky. Indeed. All right, I'll give you another con. Hit me. Um, well, they tend to be much less liquid. And by liquid, I mean, there aren't that not many, as many beers, not as many shares that oh, are shares, traded shares, shares. each day. So if I want to, if, if I was so inclined, I could throw a lazy $10 million at BHP today, <laughs> as you do a bit of walking around money. And yeah. I could, I could, I could easily buy that many shares without really moving the share price too much. Yep. Uh, not a problem. If I went out and decided I want to buy $10 million worth of Yowie, yep. well, there's not going to be that many units for sale. Right. For one, it's going to take me months to fill well a long time to fill that order and in the process I'm going to probably push the price up substantially which is a nice problem to have relative to if you wanted to sell well when you want to sell it's much much worse isn't it because you normally want to sell for a pretty good reason which is normally that something's gone wrong in the business yep. think, oh god I made such a bad mistake I want to get out I just want to get out of here oh, and often when that happens there's not a lot of buyers around and frankly like an auction if there's a whole lot of buyers and only one seller you're going to get a good price yeah if there's a whole lot of houses fell and only one person out there looking, you're going to have to take whatever they'll give you, right? Yep. It, becomes a, it becomes a contest to see who can offer the lowest price to get the sale. Yep. And so when you've got less li li liquidity, shouldn't matter to most people most of the time, right? We don't worry too much about that because we're not traders. We're happy to be long-term investors. Frankly, between you and me, mate, I ain't buying $10 million worth of one, <laughs> one share. Sadly. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Soon. Uh, but yeah, the challenge is if, if and when you do want to get out, you just simply need to realize that you could literally do, if you're in a hurry to get out, you could literally push the price down 10 or 20% oh, yeah. in some stocks yep, yep. while you're trying to do that. And that, that's a, that's a big deal. So just be very, very careful. It's a reason, it's a reason for caution. All right. Last, last con. Volatile. Volatility. Volatile, yes. This is a con? I don't know. It depends how you look at it, I suppose. It, yeah, you're true. Well, I think the, the, the challenge is it's a function of what we just talked about, the liquidity, quite frankly, yep. is that yep. you know the market Absolutely. mood, well, it's a combination of both. The, the fact that one of the pros is not very well covered, is in not many analysts looking at it, and the fact that there's low liquidity means mm. that this thing, these things tend to jump around all over the place. Mm. If there's a whole lot of day traders who love the thing and they tend to, worry, they tend to operate the small cap mm. into the market, you see the price double in a reasonably short yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Then if they all get bored and hate it, you'll see the price crash back through the yeah. floor. Now, look at pot stocks, look at lithium, look at graphene, mm. look at uranium. 
pick, pick whatever exciting thing the market was worried about at a particular mm. point in time. It's very, very rarely the BHPs or the, the Woolworths that get the speculative money chasing them. Yep. But if you get people jumping in, jumping out, jumping in, jumping out, the, the liquidity impact effectively gets magnified by that mm. volatility. And so volatility can be great, as you were alluding to, because you can get a, a super cheap price if you're lucky yep. enough. Yep. But also you've got to be careful about when you want to get out because you're going to have to try and just, confront the same You, you need to have the stomach for it, don't you? I think if you're going to get in the... the you, you can't be the kind of person right. who gets very jittery when share prices move among the 30 40% range because it will happen. If you've got the tolerance for it, it's wonderful. And I, and I should say really quickly too, we, we pretend that the small caps are more volatile. They, they are as a rule. But geez, BHP's been up to $34 and down to $15 over the last couple of years. It's not exactly like, you know... Yeah, that's right. Small, yeah. Large caps are immune from, from of course. big volatility. Of course. Give me a quick small cap tip, mate. We've talked about this. I'm going to... I haven't <laughs> warned you about that. Give me as, one. As bloody usual. Uh, um, we talked about medical devices a couple of times. And, and, oh, you're going to steal mine. Go for it. What is it? Go on. You, you go on. You can have it. I was going to say ProMedicus. No. Oh, okay. See, so, so you, the assumption that you make... <laughs> Oh, you said medical. I, I've, I've, got, I've got a better idea than you've got. So, uh, well, now I've stolen your thunder. Right. ProMedicus, oh, uh, ASX code PME. Yes. A wonderful opportunity. Huge top-line growth. I think they're doing everything right. What do they do? Uh, they, they make uh, software that helps in terms of imaging. And they are taking on a huge global opportunity. And they are winning. They've got some very, very high-profile clients. So imaging uh, like what? Photography? Uh, it's like uh, MRI. Uh, uh, medical whole, imaging. Yeah. Cool, whole, cool. A really, check out their website. You'll see all this cool stuff, all 4D stuff. The doctors can stream it to their phones. Really, really cool stuff. We've been talking for a very long time, Andrew. I'm going to be very quick. Nanosonics is my idea. It's a little strong medical device too. technology yep, like company. It. Mm. it makes little boxes that help to... Um, what's the word I'm looking Sterilize. for? Sterilize. Sterilize, thank you. Uh, medical probes. So... Mm. That currently people use either ultraviolet light or solutions. They are not very good for the people using them. They aren't as effective. Nanosonics has a thing called nanoparticles, so it sprays little stuff. Nano nebulant particles. Thank you. Um, sprays the probe with this stuff. It's it's much 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 more effective. It's the standard of care increasingly around the world. Um, they make a device called the Trophon device. Um, again, a little small cap like Prometheus. Be very careful with these things because you need to have a diversified portfolio. They will be volatile. But Nanosonics and Prometheus, we think, are two companies well worth your attention. N A N is the code. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's plough through the, what we've got left here. Let's we got a uh, a tweet throughout the week from, from This Gilbert. Is Dizzy Stuff. Yeah, thanks, mate. We always enjoy uh, the feedback. And at This Is Dizzy Stuff on Twitter. That's right. And he's asked, uh, do I go for dividends or capital gains? Basically, in a nutshell, what should one prefer? Both. Man, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> well, there's no right answer, of course. It depends. Like so yeah. many, so many things in the market and investing, it depends. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's there's a couple of things you want to think about. I think if you're someone who is in need of an income now, obviously dividends are going to be very, very important. So obviously the the the, the big uh, example here is with retirees. Yeah. You got a pile of, of cash after a lifetime of, of saving and hard work, and you want that cash to work for you, you want a regular income to support yourself and everything that you're doing that's wonderful if you're 23 and you've got you know 40 odd years until retirement you probably want to prefer capital gains and the reason that you might want to do that is because there's no tax along the way your money is you're you're leaving the money within the investment to compound around when you get a dividend each you're paying to frankly very um, attractive tax treatment due to franking credits Mm -hmm. in most cases but with uh with capital gains there's no tax until you sell which can be a big advantage even for long-term investors, dividends make up around half of your total return. Very good point. So, so surely I shouldn't be ignoring dividends. You sh- absolutely shouldn't. You absolutely shouldn't. In fact, um, we, when you start um, folding in the power of reinvestment and additional compounding there, it can be, it can be absolutely huge. Right. 
Now, I believe you run a service called Motley Fool Dividend Investor. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so, so you I'm would, trying you would, not to be too biased. So you would all. say dividends are, are an important and, uh, and vital part of investment returns, I'm sure. I tell you what, a couple of things I like about dividends. The first one is that it is a return that is independent of the market. And by that, I mean, if you're on a, on a capital gain, well, the market's got to be favorably disposed towards the thing that you are selling. So we talked about, about volatility before. So if the market hates Woolies all of a sudden, the share price could halve. Mate, Woolies could be going gangbusters as a business, but right. for whatever reason, the market hates it. And if you just happen to be in a period of time where that's true, you're not going to be able to realize uh, the, the gain that you hoped or it that you may sucks. have been able to realize six months ago and that you may be able to realize again in another year. But dividends, yeah. on the other hand, have got everything to do with just how the business is performing. So we had, um, GFC is the best example of this. Obviously, share prices on average down about 50%. For all of, in fact, for the majority of, when you look at things on average, dividends only dipped by a small fraction of that. They continued to be paid. Even the companies that took a bit of a bath and, and pulled back their dividends, the dividend drop was was relatively minor next next to the, the size of the capital fall. So that could have comes in every six months in most businesses' cases. Some, it's every quarter. And you're going to get that rate hell or shine as long as the business is performing well it doesn't matter what the market is doing so they're not guaranteed that they can be a little bit volatile but nowhere near as volatile as share prices and much more concrete plus you get money in your pocket every six it's months. really a nice thing nice what else would you add mate i think for me when it comes to dividends and capital gains i i don't care i really don't care no. i'm looking at total returns so think about you know does it does it which one do you want i don't really care last year 14 percent Mm. About five percent was from dividends. About ten percent from capital gains. Which one would I prefer? Well, both. And and that's that's. So if you've got a ten percent uh, dividend return to five percent capital gain, just as happy. Right. Exactly. And yeah. It just doesn't matter. And so and and when we talk about total returns, the total return assumes the dividends are reinvested. So, you know what you do with that capital. If you need to live, to your point, of course you take it out and you go and live sure. on that money. And that can be a really tax effective way of funding your living expenses, quite mm. frankly, because you get, you know, particularly if you're in retirement, but even if you're not, you get a nice franking credit with that, reduces the tax you have to pay or the tax mm. percentage you have to pay. Um, dividends are fantastic. You don't have to sell any shares. You don't have to recognize any. And, and frankly, by not selling, if you're investing in good companies, the dividends should also grow over time. Yeah. So you should, in people, theory, the have a growing income miss. stream. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So that, that's a really important component of, of investing. But frankly, the answer for me is it doesn't matter. I've got stocks that pay really nice dividend yields. I've got stocks that don't pay dividends at all, and I'm really happy with both because I'm expecting the total return to beat the market, and that's what I'm looking for. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We are very close to out of time, but I, I can't miss the opportunity to see you get up on your high horse and uh, wax lyrical from your ivory tower. Mate, uh, what's, what's under your skin this week? Under my skin is fortune tellers, predictors, prognosticators. Those... <clears throat> I won't call them names. People who get on their on, on TV, on the radio, on the newspaper, say <laughs> exactly the market is going to do dot dot dot. If they say anything other than whatever the hell it's going to Fluctuate. do, they are absolutely kidding themselves and likely lying to themselves and or you. You don't have a point target for the end of the year for the ASX two hundred. Oh, Christ, if I fifty seven hundred and thirty two point four. I was asked on TV last this week, just gone actually Monday. You know, what, what, where's the market going to be by Christmas? My answer was, I've been around this game way too long to give you an answer on that one. And the host wasn't super excited about that answer, but I just, I'm, I'm not going to get dragged into that game because it's, it's just dumb, right? If I'm right, I'm lucky. If I'm wrong, I'm unlucky. No one knows. No one can know. No one is going to know. Here's what I want to tell you about, right? There was an article in 2015, March 2015. And it was titled, The Market Crash of 2016 is Coming. Dun, dun, dun. 
Washington politicians in both parties will refuse to prepare for the crash of 2016. We'll deny hearing the warnings of the crash of 2016, one that prepares, uh, promises in the end to become bigger and badder and far more dangerous than 2008, you 1999 fools. and 1929 combined. You blew it up. Worse than the GFC and the Depression and the dot-com crash combined, right? That was the forecast of Paul B. Farrell, whoever the hell this bloke is, I was, it was in a, it was in a, it was in Market Watch, a fair right, online a, news every site. Every other week, you'll find it, right? So here's the thing. Mm. You know what happened? The S and P was up 11.2 percent in 2016. The Nasdaq was up 9.8, and the ASX was up seven and a half percent. This guy said the market was going to crash 80 percent, worse than the GFC, worse than the Great Depression, worse than the dot com crash combined. This is complete <laughs> freaking lunacy. But you know what happens though? It's not Jesus it's pretty it's Christ smart, almighty. quote unquote, in a way, because if you keep making that like a broken clock, you'll be right eventually. And then you will dine out on free lunches for the next decade as the guy who called the crash. Ignore these idiots. These people are, as I said, either lying to themselves and or lying to you. It is a complete and total waste of time. The guys that occasionally get it right to your point, Ram, mm. maybe they're right, maybe they're lucky. I don't know anybody who has consistently called the market moves year in, year out, no, ever. No way. Ever. No one. Even the likes of, I mean, Warren Buffett missed the GFC entirely. And by the yeah. way, he still made an absolute squillion dollars. Mm. Made 90 plus percent of his income, his, his wealth since he was 50, despite all this shit going on. Yeah. <sighs> okay, you got, it, you got it out of your system, mate? I'll give you, I'll give you my fork. It's the one yeah, that I always is. trot out. It's, it's from JP Morgan, the, not the uh, investment bank, but the finance. <laughs> the, um, well, the man behind the investment bank. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, he said he was he was John asked by Pierpoint Morgan. That's as I recall. The, you're right. And uh, the story goes, whether it's true or not, was that a reporter asked him, "What does he think is going to happen on the market?" And he responded simply, "It will fluctuate." Anyone who tells you different is kidding themselves or kidding you. All right, mate. Let's let's tie a knot in it there, <sighs> listeners. Thank you again. Thanks for letting Scott get that off his chest. Not I think he's feeling a lot better now. I'm, well, <laughs> except they're going to keep doing it. <laughs> God right. damn it! There'll be more of this ranting next week. No, there won't. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, there will be more of this <laughs> ranting next week. There'll be more in the cab on the way home from the studio. Oh, I'll put it that for way. God's sake. Sorry, Ram. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Full Money Podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And, and you should. And we always ask, please give us five fat stars. We'd really appreciate it. Also, go to fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Leave us your email address. I wrote about this in an article just recently for articles like that and more go to fool.com.au forward slash triple m and leave us your email address you'll hear from me or andrew or our boss bruce jackson until next time full on full on the motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m the motley fool operates under financial services license 400691